Greetings. This is Justin Allen with the Elite Nurse Practitioner. Welcome to the Elite Nurse Practitioner Show, a podcast dedicated to nurse practitioner entrepreneurism and achieving financial freedom, where I talk directly with nurse practitioners who need help. Listen up. Our market is saturated. Jobs can be scarce. We are underpaid. We are undervalued. We are taken advantage of by the sharks within the healthcare system. And frankly, screw that. Sick of it. And it's time for a change. And listen, I'm here to help make that happen. We are powerful. We can forge a path where we are in control of our career and ultimately our financial and personal well-being. You do not need to submit to healthcare administrators and your doctor overlords. You do not have to take the measly salary. You do not have to work 50 to 60 hours a week. There is a different way, and I'm here to show you that path. This podcast is raw and unfiltered. I have not talked to nurse practitioners in this podcast prior to the call outside of an email exchange to schedule the episode. What you're about to listen to is a consultation session between a nurse practitioner and myself. It is real, it is unscripted, it is unplanned, and I have no idea what we're going to talk about. Anything and everything can happen during our conversation. The nurse practitioners in these episodes are struggling with an issue in their professional or financial life, and they have reached out to me for help. My goal is to help a nurse practitioner with actionable advice that will enhance and improve their professional, business, and financial life. My other goal is to hopefully help my nurse practitioner sisters and brothers build a more productive, powerful, and free life. So I hope the content and information within these podcast episodes does just that. All right, on to the episode. Hello, everyone. Today, we'll be talking to Nancy, who is a psychiatric nurse practitioner. Currently, she has her fingers dipped in multiple endeavors, including writing nursing educational material, working in an outpatient ketamine clinic, and she operates her own telepsych business. She is currently building her business and is needing assistance with the financial aspects of her business and how to optimize her taxes. Hey, Nancy, how are you? Good. Thanks. How are you? I'm doing good. Thanks for hopping on here. So let's jump into this. It sounds like you don't really need a whole lot of assistance with more, uh, you know, starting to practice and having you uh, running your business and whatnot, you sound like you need some assistance with some financial aspects of it. So, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. How long have you been a nurse practitioner for? And what kind of things you've been doing? So I've been an NP for a little over two years. Um, about a little over a year ago, I started working, um, exclusively in 1099 position as a telehealth, uh, NP and a psychiatric for a psychiatric startup, which I still work for. And, um, and then I had a baby in December and when I went back to work, I wanted to work in person as well, just to get out of the house. So I now work also as a 1099 employee doing ketamine and TMS, transmagnetic stimulation. And I've also this whole time been freelance writing and I've just started to realize like what a toll the taxes are taking on my finance. So I recently set myself up as an S-Corps and I'm still figuring all that out, but I've just found, um, I've had a hard time getting the advice that I need because it seems like either my situation is too nuanced or people can answer some questions, but not all of them. So I'm just sort of like trying to figure it out on my own because I don't want to outsource too much and, and spend a lot on getting information that I need. Gotcha. Okay. Well, I'm going to try to help you out here. So, um, your business. So, I'm assuming it's fairly successful. Can you tell us a little bit about just kind of how, you know, how, how it's going? 
Yeah. I mean, it's not a typical business in the sense that I don't market myself or anything like that. I, like I said, I work for a startup, so they do all the client, I get all my clients through them. Um, and then, um, they pay me a, you know, a portion of what insurance pays them. And then my other job, same thing, I'm getting clients through their practice. Um, and so it's, and, and, you know, there's high need for psychiatric well health, mental health, and all of this is all of that my work is covered by insurance. So I don't have any problem getting the work. Um, and in fact, I probably could make more if I did more independent things. But um, so yeah, I'm doing well. Um, but not in the sense of like, I think a typical business where it's really a volatile situation. It's pretty stable because I'm relying on others to do the business side of things for me. But probably not making as much because of that. I got you. Okay. All right. So um, you have some income sources coming in from your job, your business, and then also writing the educational material, right? So you have three income streams? Yes. Yeah. Okay. And each one of these, uh, it's a 1099 or your your business is an S-corp. Yeah. So that I just recently set up my pay so that my paychecks through the 1099 rolls are going to be now deposited into my business account. And then I have a payroll set up to pay myself as the employee. Right. Right. Okay. So is this an S corporation or is it an LLC electing as an S corp? I believe it's the latter. Although I did have, I didn't set it up myself because I got so confused. I had my father's accountant recommend someone who did it for me. Well, is there LLC at the, you know, behind your name for documents and stuff? No, it's Nancy Pletcher NPPC. Okay. So it's a, so it's a corporation then. Okay. Okay. Yeah. 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 Okay. So, so it's an actual corporation. So just for people like, you know, listening and asking themselves what the hell's going on here. Um, So you can either have just a basic LLC, right? A limited liability company. And with the IRS, you can elect at, uh, you know, to be taxed as an S corporation. The benefit of doing that is that the S corporation um, election is, it, it's just an election. You're still functioning under an LLC. And so the advantage is, is that you don't have to deal with a lot of the um, uh, corporate documentation and the regulations that go behind the scenes with a corporation. Okay. So it's a lot easier to maintain. All right. A corporation, on the other hand, like an S corporation, typically there's a lot of filings you have to file with the state yearly that you don't have to do with an LLC. You have to have uh, meetings and some various documentation and that sort of a thing. So it's a little bit more cumbersome to uh, to maintain. So, um, so first off, if it's actually a PC, a, a private corporation, an S corporation, not an LLC, being a, you know taxes an S corporation. Ensure that you talk to the lawyer, the accountant, or whoever it is that set this up and make sure that you're compliant with state filings um, and reporting and stuff. Okay. Okay. I don't know the specifics behind that. It's different with each state. Okay. Okay. So, yeah. Well, I guess yeah. because my my telehealth practice is seeing clients in New York and I live in California and I, my in-person obviously is in California. I'm licensed in both states. So that's a big hurdle that I faced is like finding an accountant. I don't have a lawyer and I don't even have an accountant yet. Um, but finding somebody that understands like 
first of all, what even a nurse practitioner means. Like a lot right. of people don't understand what that is. Sure. And then how to navigate like the crossing of state lines in my practice. Like my and and so that's been an issue that I've I've dealt with. So do you have any idea what state that corporation's registered in? California. California. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um I believe in New York, you're supposed to have an actual entity registered there. So it could either be a professional corporation or a professional LLC. So I don't even know if you're even supposed to be seeing clients in New York state with a California PC, private corporation. So you need to make sure you figure that out as well. Um, You're not doing anything like illegal. This isn't criminal. Okay, it's more or less just a civil slap on the hand. Hey, you know, start doing it right kind of a thing. Okay, so I wouldn't lose sleep over it, but uh, you definitely want to make sure you check on that. Okay. Okay. So that would be with an accountant that I would have that conversation, correct? Uh, yeah. If if they know, if they don't, then you're gonna probably want to talk to more. You know, just a, a standard business lawyer. They don't have to be a healthcare lawyer. Just a standard business lawyer would know that. Yeah, but I'm thinking that you probably are going to need to have that New York entity if you want to remain completely 100% compliant. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. When I had, you know, when I had my telemedicine practice and we were in, you know, over a dozen states, I just functioned under a single Wyoming LLC. I didn't bother forming PLLCs and states and all that kind of stuff. My lawyer basically told me was, you know, yeah. Um, it's not, you're not compliant from a regulatory standpoint, but it's not criminal. Um, it's a slap on the hand and what you're waiving when you don't have an entity registered in the state that you're doing business in, you're basically waiving your right to bring on legal action in that state. So you can't sue someone in New York. Okay. Through your business. Well, if you're not planning on suing anyone, then okay. Okay. You know, yeah, I didn't really care. So I was like, okay, whatever. And did so, how did you find your your lawyer or an accountant? Um, the lawyer is one of those things that uh, trial and error. Um, you know, I wanted a lawyer that just t- gives it to me straight, not none of this. I need to look this up and uh, uh, yeah, that or this. And, you know, some lawyers just sit there and go around and around in circles. I hate lawyers like that, you know. So it's just... <laughs> calling various business lawyers and just talking to some until you find one that sounds competent. Yeah. Yeah. The lawyer I had was in Wyoming though, you know, so it's not going to really be applicable to your situation. Okay. Yeah. Uh, An accountant, same thing. Uh, I wanted an aggressive accountant. I wanted an accountant that is not scared of gray areas, you know? Yeah. 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 I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want an accountant that's okay with tax evasion. There's a big difference. Sure. Sure. Right. But I want an aggressive accountant. I don't want an accountant that's scared and walking on glass all the time. And, you know, that's not the kind of accountant that I want. Right. So, so it took shopping around for a good, aggressive accountant that knew what they were talking about, that knew tax law. Okay. Yeah. Accountants, you got to remember something about accountants. Accountants aren't really legal people. Okay. They're, they're highly trained data entry specialists. Okay. Um, a lot of them are like, they just know how to input numbers into IRS tax sheets and QuickBooks and stuff like that. Okay. 
Um, finding a good accountant that actually understands tax law and can actually act as a tax strategist with you, that that's rare to find, but they are out there. And you typically will pay more for those people, but it's totally worth it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So again, it's just, shop. You just you've got to shop around and trial and error. You got to interview these people. They're working for you. Right. 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 Yeah. So, I mean, I would, I, I would provide you my accountant's information, but he told me that he is not accepting any more clients. He is just overworked. So, yeah. Yeah. So you just gotta, you, you just, you just gotta interview multiple accountants. Um, yeah. There's an article on the elite MP website on how to find an accountant. So you can, okay. yeah, you can look up that article. Um, and I go over, you know, some basic aspects of it, uh, in the tax course, I, we go over quite a bit in detail, um, just FYI. So, so yeah, it's just interview multiple accounts. Okay. Um, yeah. And, and some business lawyers as well. So, uh, anyways, I know we kind of went off of a little sidetrack there, but, uh, but yeah, if you're being taxed as an S corporation, then correct. You're doing this, you, you're doing it right. So your 1099s and your, your, your business, you know, all the money's going into this professional corporation. That's an S corporation. And then therefore, yeah, you need to be paying yourself a reasonable salary and then everything else is taken right. out as an owner's draw. So you're doing that, right? Okay. So how much are you paying yourself? $45 an hour. Okay. Well, you know what? That's an average rate for nurse practitioners. So yeah, it's reasonable. It's a shitty average rate, but, yeah. but it is. So if you were audited, you could be like, well, this is what the average nurse practitioner gets paid. Yeah. So yeah, sucks for the average nurse practitioner, but good for the business owner that has an S corporation. Right, right. Right, right, exactly. So um, so whatever's left over, uh, you are are you paying yourself these as bonuses every quarter or something? Or so I literally just set this up. Like I was paid okay. this week and I it was my and the day I got paid was the day that I also gave my two employers my business account information. So I haven't even been paid into my business account. Um, so I paid myself into it. Like I put some money in that account. Um, but I, one other thing I wasn't clear on, like with distributions, for example, is that, does that just mean I'm transferring money to myself out of that account? That's pretty much all it is. Yeah. And you just pay income tax on it. I do pay income tax on it. Uh, yeah, the, the the only thing the S corporation allows you to avoid is employment taxes, Medicare and Social Security. Okay, that's okay. it. So, I mean, you say fifteen percent, so I mean, it's a big savings. Yeah, you know, hundred thousand dollars is fifteen grand, right? Right. Yeah. So I mean, it's it's not chump change, but but yeah, you still pay income taxes on the distribution. But yeah, you just transfer it over to your over to your bank account. That's all I do. I don't even tell my accountant. He just sees it in, in the books and he says owner distribution, and then he gives me a tax bill at the end of the year. Okay. And that's like what I've been doing, which is about a third of whatever it is, is going to be, I need, to, I'm going to owe in taxes. Uh, yeah. So what I would do if I was you is that when you transfer that over to your personal account, um, you know, to, to live off of or whatever, you know, buy yourself, whatever it is that you want, um, you know, have another account and just get into the habit of just putting 30% of everything yeah. into it. Yeah. Yeah. I do have like a tax checking account where I just put all the tax money. Okay, good. Yeah. Just keep doing that. Put that 30% in there. If you do that, um, you know, at the end of the year, you shouldn't have any surprises. I mean, 30% from my experience, um, 30%, it's, it's typically pretty damn close. Like, 
I'll get the tax bill at the end of the year for my accountant and it almost matches that 30% that I put away. Okay. Yeah. It might be a little bit less, might be a little bit more, but it's usually pretty damn close. So okay. yeah. So you should be okay. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Don't touch that money. You know what I mean? Never touch it money. Some people will start dipping into that and it's just like, no, that's, that, that's uncle Sam's money. So if you don't like seeing that money in your, you know, in the account, I mean, if you start generating a lot of money, you know, three, $400,000 a year or whatever, you know, that's going to build up pretty quick and you're going to have a lot of money in there. If you don't like having that kind of money in there, you could also set up quarterly tax payments and just pay the IRS every quarter and be done with it. Well, I have to do that or I would get penalized anyway, right? Uh, it depends. There's a few factors. It depends on how much you make. Depends how much of it's passive. There's a bunch of rules surrounding it. I don't know every okay. single exact rule around it. Yeah. I've just been paying once a month, honestly, because I don't want to look at it. There you go. Just do that. Just pay out. Just, just pay it and be done. Yeah. yeah. And then at the end of the year, you know, you know, you know, you shouldn't really have a tax bill. Yeah, it's less painful. Exactly. I'll tell you what, writing a big six-figure check to the IRS, it's 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 not fun. No. <laughs> yeah. You know, I've I've done that a few times. It's it's nauseating. Like I, it just it pisses me off for multiple days. Yeah, I'm in angry mood, and I drink a lot yeah. those few days. Like, <laughs> yeah. So, um, but anyways, though. Okay, so do you have any questions about about that the S corporation election and the and the and like the logistics of the taxes? No, I think it's just that I need to find a good accountant, which is what I've had a hard time doing, like somebody who can answer these like silly questions that I have. Um, but I just have to keep looking, like you said, and just, um, you know, trial and error. Pretty much. Yeah. yeah. That's pretty much what you got to do. Yeah. I mean, and it, sometimes you find a you know great one right from the get go, but oftentimes it takes, it takes a little while. Yeah. 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 Um. Okay, so any other tax questions? I don't think so. I mean, I I have questions, but I feel like they're probably accountant questions. Um, so I can save those. Okay. Uh, I mean, you can shoot over a couple of them to me if you if well, you want. I might be able to answer them. But okay, like an example would be that I this weekend I went through all my expenses through all my accounts and started a spreadsheet of what I think maybe including questionable things that could be included as write-offs. For example, um, I have a premium membership to YouTube, which sounds really um, like trite, but I actually use it quite a bit for research. Like I watch a ton of lectures, like a lot of um, the big universities will post their lectures or sounds like their- South like continued education expense to me. Yeah, so that was one one question. Did you take have you taken our tax course? It's 6 hours long and it goes over every single deduction you could possibly imagine, but that's okay. a that that's a continuing education expense. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, for sure. You could definitely write that off. I like, couldn't you? Yeah. Okay, cuz I just feel like well, if I were the IRS and I saw YouTube on a psych NP's tax return, I'd be like, what the hell? What, how are you trying to write off YouTube? But yeah, I, and then you explain it and yeah, okay. you know, okay. I mean, as long as you can explain it, you know, there's like always if you look at my YouTube history, you would see that it's like nerd central. Like it's just sure. all <laughs> educational stuff. Right. But so there you go. It sounds like probably like, I'm, I don't know. 
It just, I was like, I don't uh, know if that's look, if that's pushing it a little bit. And uh, Nancy, I highly doubt they would go that far into it. Okay. 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 I'm like, not but, enough money to be that interesting to the IRS. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, they, okay. The chance of being audited, okay, is one in a hundred. Okay. Okay. One in a hundred. So that means you could file a hundred tax returns and you'll probably be audited one time. Mm-hmm. I, I, I hope you live to be 120. Okay. <laughs> uh, I, I probably won't. So um, I'm, not, I'm not, I'm not too concerned about it. I've talked to multiple tax attorneys and, and accountants and stuff. And they're just like, it's it, it, having an audit is, it, it's not a common thing. Most people get audited over dumb shit. Mm-hmm. Like, writing off a hundred thousand miles, you know, and you're, you know, you're, uh, you're an engineer or something like explain how you wrote off a hundred thousand miles, you know, mm-hmm. like I knew a realtor in town who wrote off something ridiculous. It was like 145,000 miles or something crazy. Her car didn't even have 145,000 miles on it. Like she got audited and yeah, she got fined and stuff. Okay. My accountant has told me they, they hang the pigs, but they slaughter the hogs. Okay. Don't be a hog. Like just, yeah, you're going to get slaughtered. Okay. Like, yeah. So you just, yeah, just don't be ridiculous. And even if it is an audit, it's usually something like something kind of minor, like a number was off or you forgot to, let's say you got paid 1500 bucks for some sort of, uh, I don't know, let's just say you wrote a chapter in some nursing book or whatever. And they wrote and they, and they paid you $1,500, just complete example here. Okay. And they wrote you a check for 1500 bucks they sent you the 1099 form at the end of the year, um, and you completely forgot to get that to your accountant. And then an IRS agent, you know, they go through their algorithms and they're like, "Okay, wait a second, we got this fifteen hundred dollar 1099 from this employer, but yet we're not seeing this being accounted in her taxes." That would trigger an audit. Okay, it was it was okay. it, it was a, it was just a, it was a bookkeeping error. Right. Okay. okay. Yeah. So that's why you got to have a good account that's making yeah. sure that they're keeping track of all this stuff. Right. Um, right. But, uh, but yeah, but you know, a lot of tax attorneys have told me too, that they usually don't bother going after people unless it's like true seven figure kind of tax returns, right. you know, because they're going to, they want the, they want the big fines and someone making a couple hundred thousand dollars a year. Um, that's, it's just not, it's not big. It's not a big enough fine for them to, uh, to, you know, to justify spending a lot of time. Right. Exactly. Okay. Another thing too, is is that the typical IRS agent is, you know, getting paid $45,000 a year. I mean, they're just people, you know, it's, it's just a job. Yeah. You know, when they're people. (laughs) Right. Yeah. That makes sense. You know, they're not, they're not going above and beyond here. And how do you split the, like your questions that you would ask like a tax lawyer versus, or a business lawyer versus a, an accountant? Like, where do you, what is the role of each? Um, well, the business lawyer is going to be more, uh, yeah, I mean, a lot of it overlaps, right? Um, from what I have found with accountants is that truly, only tax matters are really what you should be asking an accountant. 
you know, accountants understand the tax implications of legal entities, but they do not understand the regulatory issues behind it, the liability, the asset protection provisions. Like they don't understand that stuff. Got it. So just, you know, in your mind, taxes, CPA, everything else, lawyer, basically. Okay. Now, some CPAs know a lot of stuff about this other stuff as well, you know, asset protection and uh, regulatory things. And, you know, I mean, every professional is different. I mean, I'm a nurse practitioner saying I'm sitting here talking to you about taxes and, and, and financial stuff just because I'm a financial nerd. Mm-hmm. Right. But I'm not a CPA, nor am I a lawyer. Right. So that's the same thing with a CPA. Like a lot of them know a lot about law. They're not necessarily expert about it. Okay. Yeah. And then trying to ask a lawyer about taxes, what a waste of time, unless they're a tax attorney. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Uh, Any other deductions that you've had questions about? No, that was my big one where I was like, this, this seems um, ridiculous, I guess. Well, so this isn't a weird question, but um, I have gotten Botox. I'm 30, going to be 37 years old. I've gotten Botox since I was 30. And I recently set up an account to buy it as a provider. I'm really under my business and um, I'm really not planning to like do much with it from a business standpoint, but just to save money. I don't even know if I can say this, but um, like, is that too far from what my other work is to be considered part of my business? I mean, if you're providing it to patients and using it for business, then it's a business expense. Right. If you're using it for yourself, then no, that would be considered just something bought through your business that you provide patients, but you're also using something of it yourself. So you would, you know, 30% of it would be just, you know, the cost of it would be considered an owner's draw, basically. Okay. I thought you can't do owner's draw on S-score. Like an owner's draw, just a distribution. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I mean, yeah, yeah, that's what, that's kind of what I meant. Okay. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that was my only other... Um, what about, um, what about my contributions to my own retirement? That would not be a write-off, right? No, that's a complete write-off. It's hundred percent tax. Really? deduction. Yeah. Yeah. It's a tax deduction. So like my Roth IRA, uh, Roth is going to be post-tax dollars. Right. Right. So you'd have to have a, so if you're going to start funneling money into retirement accounts, 401ks and IRAs, you need to have a self-employed um, 401ks, IRAs. Okay. Not, um, not a Roth. So a Roth is post-tax money. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you pay taxes on it. Then you put it in the Roth and then it sits there and grows tax-free. So if right. I'm paying if I'm contributing to the Roth, like from my personal account, which is getting paid as an employee, that I can contribute to the Roth, correct? Correct. Because Yeah, exactly. It's already taxed. Right. Right. All right. Now, if you want to truly maximize your, uh, your pre-tax retirement contributions, you want to maximize that, then you need to open up a SEP IRA, okay? A self-employed IRA. Yeah. Because you could put $60,000 a year into that tax-free. And there's no, is there a max on income for that? I know there is for Roths. Uh, no. Okay. No. Got it. Yeah. Like I put 60, 62,000 or 63,000, whatever the hell the max limit is uh, into my IRA every year. 
Got it. Okay. Like that builds up really quick. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. 10 years, it's a million dollars. Yeah. You know, if you just moderate conservative investments, you want to, I mean, you don't have to be crazy about it. Okay. Yeah. So you really need to be looking into that because it'll lower your taxable income significantly. And are you, would I be funding that from my business account directly? Directly. Correct. So you'd open up an account with Charles Schwab, for example, JP Morgan or whatever, and you would create a SEP IRA account. And then at the end of the year, your accountant would do the uh, do their taxes and everything and be like, okay, if you contribute this amount to your SEP IRA, it'll lower your taxable income by this amount. So for example, uh, if you max out your SEP IRA, uh, if you put $60,000 into it, it'll lower your taxable income by $20,000. So basically you got free 20 grand. Okay. Yeah. And are yeah. you, do you tend to do that throughout the year or do you do it at the end of the year when you're doing your taxes? Um, I just do it at the end of the year. Okay. Yeah. I just let the, I just let the money build up. Um, like I don't, you know, I have fairly low expenses for how much I make. And mm-hmm. so my money just builds up. Right. Yeah. Like I put it into like, you know, a high yield savings account or mm-hmm. uh, some short term treasuries or something and earn some interest on it. Um, and then I make sure to pay myself out that, you know, before tax, you know, after tax time. And then I, then I, and then I put the money um, into the set. That way I earn, you know, a little interest on it. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. I have yeah. a high yield savings. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, right now too, with, you know, with treasuries, um, you know, treasury yields, uh, interest rates right now are going to, in my opinion, in the opinion of a lot of professionals and experts, you know, they're going to stay this high for a little while. Okay. Um, inflation's still somewhat high. It hasn't, you know, gone down significantly. So the Federal Reserve is going to maintain interest rates um, at a higher level for probably the next few years. Okay. Mm-hmm. So what that means is that any kind of cash that you have, it needs to be out of your bank account. Uh, it, you know, it could be in a high yield savings account, sure, but you'll probably uh, you could probably earn more. You could probably earn about a full percentage point more if you put it into just some short term bonds, some short term treasuries. So that's what I do. So I buy short term treasuries uh, straight uh, from the IRS, or not from the IRS, from the from uh, from the U.S. Treasury. Um, these short term treasuries, you know, they have expiration dates of you know six to twelve months. And the interest rates on them are five, five point five percent. Oh wow! Right, you can't beat it. It's free money. Yeah. Put a hundred thousand bucks into it. You just made you know five point five thousand dollars over a year for doing absolutely nothing. Right. And that's something that you can liquidate easily. Yeah, hundred percent. You can just sell it off. Okay. Yeah. They're pre- I that. Yeah. Yeah. They're pretty high liquid assets. So if you you know if do you have a brokerage account? Yes, I do. You have a brokerage. Is it? Is it a? It's it's a post tax brokerage account. You can just put money into it and buy stocks and yeah. stuff. T I A A is what I use. Okay, so there should be an option. They should have a treasury, you know, a bond exchange through it. I'm not. Uh, I'm not familiar with that brokerage. Um, okay. but I know with like Charles Schwab, TD Ameritrade, um, Vanguard, uh, Fidelity. Those those brokerages. Um, there's a treasury. Uh, uh, there's, there's, there's like a treasury exchange in there and you can buy bonds directly through their, through their sites. And that's what I do. Okay. I have to look into that. Yeah. They, they were where I had a, when I was still a W2 employee that were W9, whatever I'm confused by those, but, um, no W2 when they, um, 
when I was a unionized nurse, that was where my 403B was. So just to kind of like minimize where all my money is, so it's not in too many places, I just started my brokerage account with them and my um, my IRAs as well. Okay. So just get in there and play around. You should be able to see something yeah. about buy bonds, buy. Yeah. Buy I'm, gonna, I'm putting that on my little notes that I'm taking here. Yeah. Yeah. All your cash should be in those. I put all my money yeah. in those short-term bond treasuries right now. It's, it's, it's foolish not to. Yeah. And I guess like, I know that we're, we don't have a ton of time left, but I think like part of this is that eventually I do want to be like more, have more passive income. Like I love my clinical work. I love all my work and I like working. Um, but I'm a mom and I'll probably have more kids. And I do want to have like that balance where I'm like really optimizing my income and not at the mercy of like constantly needing to make more money. Um, like needing to, like, I just want as much flexibility with my schedule as possible. Yeah. And like, I want to be as smart with my money as possible because I really, I am a minimalist with spending. I'm really good about that. I have no credit card debt or anything like that, Good. but ultimately like right now I'm just building the business and trying to educate myself, but ultimately I really want to be like, have it kind of be a well-oiled machine where I'm a little more independent and not just on the schedule every day. Yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah, that's, that's, that, I mean, that's the goal, right? You said yeah. you're, 30, you're 37. This month I'll be 37. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you're a couple of years younger than me. So I didn't, I mean, I, I had passive income streams at that age, but the passive income streams really started developing for me over really like about, about the last year or so. Okay. Um, and that's because I invested a lot of my money into things that would provide the passive income. And I kind of, uh, I rebalance my portfolio, so to speak. So, you know, you have growth investments and then you have more of like the income investments, right? And so um, at your age, it it really depends on what your goal is, right? So like, do you want to be 40 years old collecting a check every month that you could live off of? Or do you want to have an income stream that, you know, maybe it's your business or like a part-time job or something, and then your money's invested into certain investments that just grow over a longer term period, yeah. 10, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, whatever. And then you cash out at the end of those 10, 15 years and then put it into more income-based investments. So what is it that you want? What is it that Nancy envisions in a couple of years? Well, we, we, my husband's a surgeon and he'll be a fellow. He's a fellow now and he'll be an attending. So once we find out where he he'll be working, we'll purchase a home. We're still renting. So I want to own a home. I want to minimize my childcare expenses because that's extremely expensive. Oh yeah. And, and by doing so be more available to my children. And, but also like for my own well being, I need to work. Like I need to use my head. I need to be among adults. I need to be learning and all the things that being a psych NP allowed me, I, allows me. I'm extremely interested in neuroscience. So I don't know exactly what that looks like. And I do love the companies I work for. They have great cultures. They're super supportive. And I don't want to, I'm not really interested in like self marketing because I'm a little shy in that way. Like I don't want to be posting on social media and all that and be. But at the same time, like I do want, I don't know exactly what those income streams would be that would require less of my active participation on a day-to-day basis. But I, I do hope that I find like outlets for that, whether it's through my writing or something else, um, where I have the flexibility to like be a mom and be available to my kids, minimize that expense and generate income to support our family and like 
have a nest egg for my kids and have safe retirement. So I know that's a really vague answer, but I feel like things are like the snowball is building of my career. And I'm not exactly sure what, how I'm going to do this, but I just think I'm going to keep building bridges and, you know, I have great working relationships and kind of see where it takes me. But ultimately, yeah, like I want to have a higher yield income and more flexibility with my time. I got you. Okay. So then your husband is a, I mean, he's a surgeon, so he's going to be making pretty decent living in, in, in a, in a couple of years, I'd imagine. Um, so if I was you guys, I would set a hard date of like, you know, when do we want to sort of just step away and begin, uh, you know, living life to the fullest, right? You know, what, uh, what, what age is that? Or when do we want to cut down to part-time work and start living more life yeah. versus working? Yeah. Right? So I think you should have had to have a conversation with your husband about okay. that. Like yeah. when, when is that? You know, the thing is, is that, you know, you're only young one time, right? Yeah. So, you, you know, you're 37, I'm 39. And like, I'm to the point now where I'm like, I don't want to continue to hustle and work super mm-hmm. hard right now. I want to live life. You know, mm-hmm. like I, I mean, I, I'm getting older. I can start feeling it a little bit. You know what I mean? I'm not 25 anymore. Like I feel my knees and shit now, you yeah. know, <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, oh, my back, like, you know, like I, you know, I, I feel age. And so I want to live life the fullest now. And so I am cutting back significantly on work overall because it's time for me to live life. Um, you know, what does that mean? 10, 20 years from now? Uh, from an income standpoint, I should still be okay because, you know, I build a significant nest egg. I have some passive income streams coming in from some businesses. And so mm-hmm. I should, you know, I should be okay. And so what I would do then is that if you still have a few more years of hustle in you, mm-hmm. but I would advise, yeah, yeah, you do, you know, you're, you're still young, you're still energetic. So you got a few more years of hustle in you, right? Uh, but you do have a young child too. So you don't want to lose those precious years either, right? So, so you got to find that balance. You got to do that yeah. hustle. And I would say every dollar that you pretty much make, um, I would invest almost everything that you possibly can into some higher risk, higher growth kind of things because you don't need the income right now. Mm-hmm. Okay. There's no reason to be investing in stuff that pays, you know, a dividend every month. It's it's not really necessary in your case because you don't need that cash flow right now like what would the benefit be of you putting five hundred thousand dollars into something that pays four percent that doesn't really grow that much okay the principle that five hundred thousand dollars doesn't grow that much it doesn't really appreciate much but it's spinning off four percent which is twenty thousand bucks a year that mm-hmm. twenty thousand dollars going to move the needle in your life probably not not that much yeah, yeah. right, right. Right. Cause you have income coming in. Your husband has income coming in. So like, what, what, what are you going to do with that $20,000? You're just going to reinvest it. I mean, what else are you going to do with it? Mm-hmm. Right. So that's what I'm saying. I would say focus more in on, on high in or high growth sorts of investments. So that's going to be more of like the main companies in the S and P 500, for example. Right. You know what I mean? Ones that really don't pay dividends that, but just, but that grow. So that's what I would be doing. Um, I would avoid real estate right now in general. It's, it's, it's overinflated numbers. It, it just doesn't make sense. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I can't find real estate deals right now that actually make sense. They okay. just don't. They're so, it's overinflated. So, you know, that's just going to be one of those things that real estate might not be that great of an investment for 10 years or something. Who knows, you know? Okay. Yeah. So, so that brokerage account, you know, putting your cash in bonds, leave it in there or high yield savings until you figure out what, you, what it is that you want to do with that. But if I was you, I would just pick a couple high growth exchange traded funds, index funds, and just be dumping your money into that. And you and your husband, you know, sit down um, and say, hey, you know, by the time we're 45, we're 50 years old or whatever, let's cut back part time, 10 hours a week or whatever, and let's live life. And if that's your goal, then, you know, 15 years from now, 20 years from now, you should have that, that you should have a very large nest egg that will provide you that, right? That'll give you that ability to do that. So that's what I would do. Okay. Yeah. And high growth index funds, um, VTI, <laughs> yeah, the Vanguard Total International Stock Fund, basically, like, you know, VXUS, uh, that's, that, that's an international stock. Uh, VTI is just, uh, total, uh, total stock market index. So basically if you put all your money into VTI, that, that exchange traded fund, it's investing, um, it's, it's investing the entire stock market. So it's very diversified, but it's, yeah. but it's, but it's growth focused. Okay. Or, or yeah, or VOO, VU. I have VOO. That's most of my money is in VOO. Just, you can just continue dumping money in VOO then. Oh, okay. 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 That's pretty much all you really got to do. You don't, you don't need a complicated portfolio. You really don't. Like my portfolio is somewhat complicated. I got about a, I got about a dozen funds or so, but I'm focused more on cash flow right now for me. Yeah. I want to, I, I want an income to live off of. Like I've, I've been building my nest egg. I want more of an income now. So, okay. So yeah, so it just really depends on when is it that you want to start living versus working. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So right. um, any other questions? I don't think so. Not at this second. I mean, um, you, you gave me a lot to think about and I feel like I have some action steps I'm going to be taking. So I appreciate this. I appreciate your time and all your insight. You know a lot. <laughs> you're welcome uh i don't know if you've ever listened to a podcast before but i like the end of the episode with uh with you asking me a question it could be a personal question or more of a curiosity or something like that it's kind of something outside of this uh you know business stuff if you had a, sure. a question or How about this? i always ask my clients this what's a normal night of sleep for you oh uh well considering that i have an eight month old right now not good um <laughs> me too <laughs> oh eight months yeah, she was born December. Well, she'll be eight months, December twenty third. Oh wow! Okay, so my son's about three or four weeks older than your okay your daughter. Then yeah, okay. Uh, you know, some days it's uh, it's great. Some days I'll get a good solid eight hours of sleep, and then some days it's it's three. <laughs> you yeah, know? yeah. But before that, I slept pretty good. I would usually get a good solid seven eight hours of sleep usually. Are you a night person or a morning person? Oh, morning person. I'm up at five. Same. Yeah, me too. Yeah, yeah. I can't. You know, eight thirty, nine o'clock. I'm I'm perfectly happy being in bed at eight thirty. Me too. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Well, cool deal. Well, listen, I appreciate uh, appreciate you hopping on here. I hope this was helpful. And uh, if you have any other yeah, thank you for your time. I appreciate this. Very generous of you. All right. You're welcome. You take care of yourself. Okay. Bye. All right, bye.
All right. I hope everyone enjoyed the conversation with Nancy. There was uh, a plethora of just solid information there. If you are trying to navigate, you know, the finances in your business, uh, in your personal life, you know, tax considerations, those sorts of things. For most of you, you don't need a professional corporation. I think it's overkill. She's in California, so I believe you have to have a corporation in California. So I think that's why she has that. But in most states, just an LLC electing as an S corporation is the best way to lower your tax obligations from a uh, from an income tax standpoint. So consider that, and you know, also be considering, you know, when is it that you want to start stepping back from work? You got to make your money work for you. You just do it. So you have to and be investing your money all the time. You have to live below your means. Living way above your means and having a mortgage that you truly can't afford and having all these bills and all these debts, like that's no way to live. You're a slave to money, you're a slave to your income. You wanna get to a point where you can just walk away and you don't need that check. You would be fine for six to 12 months, okay? So anyways, I hope everyone enjoyed this episode. Lots of lots of good information. Uh, I'd advise listening to it again if you really need a good finance and tax 101. All right, thanks, talk to you guys later, bye. Thank you for listening to the show. Quick legal disclaimer. The content of this podcast is meant for informational and entertainment purposes only and should not be used as legal, financial, medical, regulatory, or practice-specific advice. For information pertaining to your specific legal, financial, medical, or practice-specific needs, please be sure to consult with your lawyer, CPA, medical director, and or your state's practice laws and the most up-to-date clinical guidelines. As always, do your due diligence when it comes to any information found online and in podcasts. The content in this podcast is copyrighted by Galaxy Medical Southwest 2023 and cannot be duplicated, rebroadcasted, or reproduced with without our written permission.